some base. What? Welcome back to your unofficial Everything Sucks podcast, right? Here we are. Yep. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today, and I'm joined by the ever-wonderful Julia. Julia! Yes, hi. Hi, Julia. Welcome back. It's been an amazing week, hasn't it? I mean, the, the, the first episode went up, and we had a lot of amazing reaction on Twitter. Yes. Kind of mind-blowing. Very mm-hmm. cool, very groovy. And we uh, asked a bunch of people what we thought we should call our listeners, and mm-hmm. somebody suggested banana slugs, so I'm going to go with that. What do you think? Banana slugs or banana sluggers, yeah. Very good. On today's episode, we have a Everything Sucks special. We have a special guest, mm-hmm. Mr. Patch Dara. That's right, Ken Messner from Everything Sucks himself, the principal. Is here on the show today. Yes, amazing. Never thought this would happen. But I believe that Patch realizes the importance of Everything Sucks and the importance of getting the news out there. So he's doing what he can to lend his voice. So he is here today. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, I'd like to uh, try to get online here and... We're gonna play that funky sound of the dial-up. Any minute now, takes a second. And we're gonna contact with one of our banana slugs from the Twitterverse. We have a really cool tweet that I felt needed to be read on the air because it talks about the importance of everything sucks. And this is from Terry Cat K E T T at Terry Cat writes: Every time I watch scenes with Kate and her father. I feel emotional. I don't know if it's because I'm feeling happiness for Kate or sadness for myself. I do not know. I love my father, but I wish he was as loving as Ken Messner. Yeah. At Patchdera, at Netflix, hashtag renew everything sucks. So, Terry, you know, I do not think that you're alone. I think a lot of people watching the show, and keep in mind, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an old guy, and I wish my dad was as cool as Ken Messner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and my attempts at being a, a good stepfather you know he's definitely a good role model the guy seems very understanding and and today we're going to talk to ken messner himself patch dara and he's going to take us into the process of becoming ken messner having to wear that ridiculous beaver suit <laughs> yeah and all the good the bad and the importance of bringing back everything sucks so without mm-hmm. further ado let's welcome him to the show that's right principal messner here wishing you a happy friday 
and thanking you for a spirit-filled first week back at school. And for all you freshmen out there, I can't wait to get to know you. Anyway, we're off to a super start, so let's keep it up. Back to you, Jessica and Scott. Thank you, Principal Messner. Hey, it's Patch Dara, Ken Messner from Everything Sucks, and this is the Everything Sucks podcast. We are excited here today at the unofficial Everything Sucks podcast. We have someone here who's who's kind of like a father to most of us. <laughs> and I'm kind of excited to have you here because I'm Ken Mills and you play a guy named Ken Mesner. Would you it's please Ken introduce yourself? Yes, it's the Ken and Ken Show. The Ken and Ken Show. Yeah, it's Patch Dara, Ken Mesner from Everything Sucks. It's amazing that you are on this show. This this is a show that kind of took us all surprise. We didn't really plan on doing this, but they took away our show. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a pretty crazy uh, couple weeks um, <clears throat> for for all of us. I think the 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 cast and the fans um, were pretty surprised because uh, out of the gate um, things were looking really good. You know, uh, it seemed like a lot of people were watching the show and liking it and, and getting more into it as it went along into the story. Um, I wish I had more information to share with you, Ken, because, uh, but you know, Netflix doesn't really, uh, release information about the numbers, but I guess the, the understanding is that <clears throat> we just didn't reach as big of an audience as, as they'd hoped or sustained an, enough of an audience. And they decided that, uh, they wanted to, let us go. So um, it's been really amazing seeing everybody on social media and, and uh, things like your podcast of, of fans working to uh, show the powers that be how much people miss the show and want to get it back. And, um, you know, we've, we've been uh, part of that effort. And uh, I, I, I believe that, you know, they're, they're taking note of it, whether it will change anything. Um, I just don't know. Well, I'm I'm hoping if nothing else they give us a, a wrap up movie. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. If they can't commit to a full season, a full second season, at least let's wrap it up a little bit, right? Right. Well, they did that for Sense Eight, another series of theirs. But you know, I've just uh, I've never been down this road. Uh, I, I I don't know how that worked for Sense Eight and how that was all negotiated. Uh-huh. But yes, that would be that would be a sort of next best option if we weren't going to do an, a season two. Would be to do some kind of uh, you know four episode movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll have to see. Well, let's talk a little bit about you as an actor and mm-hmm. why you picked this role, or did this role pick you? What was it about Ken Messner that made you say this is something I want to do? There is a, a thing that happens when you read something that you really feel a kind of ownership of. And uh, that definitely happened when I, when I read Ken Messner. What was it about? I don't know. I guess I just felt like I had a sense about it. There's something about Ken that uh, reminded me a lot of my father. And so there was something I just felt like I, I, there was something I really understood innately about Ken and I did an interview where they said, oh, this is a real departure for you. You played a lot of dark characters. And I said, no, no, no. Those were the departures. This is the homecoming. Mm. You know, it's nice to feel um, 
to be unbridled in uh, be as enthusiastic and goofy as I want to be. And Ken kind of allowed me to do uh, do all of that. There's a power to being a Ken, isn't there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's very liberating. Now, aren't you glad that I didn't insist on you wearing the mascot outfit? <laughs> that thing was so hot. <laughs> you have no idea. And, you know, of course, when you shoot something, you know, it takes hours and hours. And uh, <laughs> every time I'd pull the, the beaver head off, it was like, oh, my God, he's basically melting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you looked very hot in that. <laughs> I, but, but, like, I don't mean, like, hot sizzling. I mean, like, hot, get me out of this thing. <laughs> well, also, I would get all the – it was – the fur was some kind of, like – I don't know what the material was, but it was like getting in my mouth, and I was like choking through half of the tape. Oh my! Um, and I I look over and see Mike Mohan, our our co-creator and director, just like trying not to lose it behind the monitor, uh, in the uh, little AV room where we were shooting. Yeah, that's that's one thing I may not miss as much. <laughs> but well, you know, you've got to wear that again if if the show does come back. Oh right? yeah, oh yeah, but, we got to have you know like the homecoming game or something. Yeah, it'll be totally worth it. I, I also love the fact that uh, you're still wearing it when you first approach Kate. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice reveal there at the end. Uh, see, you still got the tail sticking out. And then that one student comes by and like pulls on the tail. <laughs> yeah, you I get no respect. You're the Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> Exactly. High school. It's a very Dangerfield moment, isn't it? Yeah. First one, a silly question. I want you to think about this. So we, if you don't have an answer right now, I'll come back to it. But okay. one of the great things about Everything Sucks is the soundtrack. Yeah. And you, as someone that came up during that time, yeah. name two of your favorite songs. That are in the show? Yeah. I love that Space Hog song uh that sort of bookends the first season in the meantime i think it's called yep that song came on oh god the day it was canceled i was driving into manhattan and that song came on and the sky was blue and i was like this can't be happening and let's play space hog in the meantime
Now, let's talk about your relationships with the other characters on the show. First, let's talk about you and Kate Messner. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Because one of the things that I love about this show, I'm I'm 54, okay? Uh-huh. And my co-host, who is kicking herself that she can't be here, is 21. And her name's Julia, so you can say hi to her. Hey, Julia. <laughs> this is bringing people of all ages together. Are you kind of surprised by that fact that you're seeing different ages come to the defense of this show? Yeah, I mean, that, that's been um, – it gives me a particular joy when it's, uh, when it's people more of our generation, Ken, because obviously the show is – was definitely marketed more towards the younger audience, but it, it does have it, it has some of the nostalgia of the 90s. I was in high school in the 90s, and you know, it was like when we were filming, it was like I was back in my high school in Michigan. Mm-hmm. But it, it is nice because beyond just the nostalgia of it, there's a lot of that storyline is, is something that uh, people of our, of, you know, our age bracket can really relate to. So getting back to Kate Messner, it's, it's an alchemy there that just was so lucky to get to work with Peyton Kennedy. We, we really hit it off right away, and her, uh, she and her younger brother and her parents came over for dinner and uh, we were just, this was in the early stage. We were just rehearsing uh, a little bit. Uh-huh. She's from a town very close to where I was born in Canada. So I don't know, we just, we just really got each other. And, you know, this is true of, of all of the, the young people on the show. They're all serious actors. And there's not, there was never a, a feeling of, oh, this is the young people and then we're the old people. We were all just actors working together. Um, we all had respect for each other. Uh, there was, we had a tremendous amount of fun on uh, making the show, but it was also with a, a, a seriousness towards um, the work and preparation. Um, so it, it never felt like, oh, I'm working with like, you know, these like child stars. It was like I'm working with just any other actor. That's how I approached it anyway. And with Kate, especially. There's a sensitivity there. You know, these are, you think about that situation and losing the mother, only child. It's just the two of us from six years old until now. So that's a whole decade. The last 10 years, it's just us going through that grieving process of, uh, you know, losing her mom. And um, you think about every dinner, every ride to school. I mean, only only time can really give you that, and uh, so it's a it's a thing that's wonderful about acting is is trying to capture that experience very quickly and with someone you just met, and it really when you have um, someone with as much talent and as big a heart as Peyton had, you know, it it made it very easy for me. I didn't really feel like I had to pretend all that much in in the doing of it because just you know looking at her and seeing what the amount of gravitas that she was bringing to the to bear um made it all very very enjoyable and rewarding and easy well i can see by looking at you right now that you have a real empathy for the story and the characters and the settings 
And just the fact that she had to walk across that bridge every yeah. day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Seriously, I can see it in your eyes, brother. And yeah. uh, I, I can feel what you're putting down. Yeah. Now, you also had this other incredible relationship, spoiler alert, right? With Sherry O'Neill, the actress Claudine Nako. She is fantastic. Yes, Nako. Yeah. And the two of you work so well together. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the uh, the creators had us meet and go out for dinner uh, again in the early part of the rehearsal process. And that was another thing that was very just kind of, I mean, you hear about people saying, Organic. Oh, you, have, you have chemistry. Yeah, it's very yeah. organic. Yeah, it's one of those things you kind of just can't plan. I think one thing that really helped us with with Claudine and I, but also with everyone, was no one was no one was acting cool. There was no like, oh, I've been down this road before. It, for all of us, it was a big break to be doing the show together, and we didn't try to hide it. It was we were all really excited, and um, and we were nervous together and excited together, and um, I definitely, yeah. I mean, Claudine and I, we actually. This is a, a little fun fact, I think. Uh, we we actually shot all of episode four first. So yeah. our first day was buying the toilet paper. And, <laughs> and, then we, and then we did the toilet papering. And then we did the date, the dinner at the Crouton Factory. Um, and, you know, so the whole date and then the end of the date, driving back into the parking lot which it was quite magical because it started pouring rain. So we had to, you know, map that out a little bit and then go back weeks later and do our first meeting in my office. And, um, but, uh, you know, she's, we're both from a theater background and I, I really do think, um, as I'm doing more TV these days, having that background really helps because you're, you can, I don't know, you can sort of plunge into a scene and, and understand its place in the larger arc of the of the story mm-hmm. and uh and claudine i don't know she's just so fun we had so much fun i mean i think that probably comes out you know we just would try to make each other laugh and just uh, i don't know she's she's the kind of person when i think about it like there's a little glint in her eye that's sort of like always ready for a little bit of mischief which was <clears throat> so kind of uh one of the kind of tenets of their relationship right it's like what are we going to get into now? You know, watching us kind of run around like teenagers while our actual teenagers are trying to grow up and be adults. And I myself have three stepchildren and I I watched this show first by myself. I just plowed through it thinking, well, this is going to be a fun teen comedy kind of thing. I'm down. Let's, let's check it out. And and there, and there were times I thought the show was downright silly. And, you know, when you, the first time you meet the drama club, I'm like, I'm about ready to tap out. These people are so over the top. But then you wait a little bit and they get to be revealed as human beings. And you see this happen time and time again that everybody's revealed to be real, right? Yeah. Except, except for McQuaid. He's, he's really out there. God bless him. <laughs> you know, he's, he's kind of like protecting the entire town. He doesn't want anyone to look stupid. He's so tense. But. <laughs> I'm telling you, as somebody who is a, in the in a, in, a, in a parental role, I look at what you are doing and what the character Sherry O'Neill Claudine was doing. 
it's just absolutely amazing work because I think that one of the things that comes across really well to the younger viewers is that maybe they're seeing for the first time how much parents are setting aside of themselves for their kids. Yeah. You see in, in Ken Mesner and, and Sherry O'Neill, you see two people who have put their lives on pause, their feelings, their, yeah. their needings to be touched and interact. Yeah. And even though uh, Ken Mesner had the horrible run-in with the one other teacher at the beginning of the series, it's the one tough. that uh, thinks you should be colleagues, and we'll just <laughs> leave it at that, right? Yeah. But she, she later got the TP vengeance, so... <laughs> she messed with the wrong principal. <laughs> but there's, there's that uh, amount of caring and sacrifice yeah. from a parent for their children that really comes across and you delivered in spades. Oh, thanks Ken. Yeah. I think that, I hadn't thought of that really when you think about kids, you know, people who are more of that age, you know, in high school. Yeah. Getting to see like your parents are just people. They're just trying to figure it out. And God, especially if they're doing it on their own, you know, it's yeah. The amount of sacrifice and the amount of, just, um, I mean, just looking out for someone and trying to connect with them. And, you know, I love, I love that moment when, when Ken says, Oh, you want me to treat you like a regular, a regular student come into my office. Let's talk about someone wrote Dyke on your locker. You know, just that, that inability to understand each other and that now I'm she's slipping away you know that mm -hmm. things get more complicated and um that's one thing that it's really hard to let go of when thinking about the show not coming back is you know we wanted to I really wanted to see Kate graduate and um if that was just another two seasons that would be swell but to see her have the opportunity uh, initially in the script I, you know, where McQuaid sees her and Emmeline kissing at the end of season one. Mm -hmm. In the original script, it was Ken who saw them. And the guys very late in the game, like I want to say not long before we shot that, they, they came in with a rewrite and they said, oh, are you mad at us? We, you know, we took away this big moment for you. And I said, no, I think it's great. Um, and then right on set, we added that moment while we were shooting that scene when she comes back from the kiss. Mm -hmm. and I you're glowing and she's the best night of my life where she almost tells me when she says, dad. And they said, you know, we want to give her the dignity of coming out, not accidentally, not being caught in a, in a compromising moment, but give her the dignity of coming out to her father um, on her own terms. Mm -hmm. I it was so beautiful. And I thought it was really smart to, to tee it up, but, but not show it. Um, so that's, you know, when I think about these scenes that I imagined having with Peyton, um, it's really, it makes it really miserable uh, for me these days to <laughs> torture myself with that. But yeah, I think that's, that's a, a really beautiful thought there, Ken, that, you know, <clears throat> how, how important it is to, you know, the sooner the better for kids to be able to look at their parents as people and, and have um, sympathy for their, for their own individual plight. Well, you know, again, as a parent and as someone who's been through this story mm -hmm. multiple times, right? I was I was Luke at one point, right? Yep. I was I was raised by a single mother. I really resented my father who left and I even mm -hmm. fell for a girl who 
later came out as well. So I'm like sitting there looking at this story going, wow, this is me, you know? And then I also look at the fact that it's a hard lesson I've had to learn in life. And I think, you know, we all grow up with this idea, at least people more your, your age and mine, we -hmm. grew up that you get the, the home and the, you know, standard heterosexual dream. You get your Susie homemaker wife and that sort of thing. And it's all like instant. And you think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm 18 or I'm 15. I've met this girl and it's all coming together. Yeah. And then boom, I kind of look at it as Luke and uh, Kate are meant for one another, but hear me out. We all have one conversation. We all have one story throughout our life. Everybody you meet and talk to, you have one conversation with them. That conversation can change over time, but you kind of get where I'm coming from, right? I think so. So Luke and Kate are meant to be together, but not necessarily as girlfriend and boyfriend. They're meant to love one another and be there for one another and grow through life through one another. And I think that a lot of times, a lot of young people will think that I love this girl or I'm into this girl and I need her to shape to what I want, my expectations of what she should be instead of what she is. And we're seeing the young people in this show have to deal with that. That's what Luke's like arc is, right? He, He loves Kate. But he knows that it can't be the traditional dream that he thought it would be that paint-by-numbers kind of thing. That's right. And this is one of the most important lessons that I think comes from this first season is that you can love someone, but you have to respect them for what they are and what not the the false image you want them to be, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in using that same sort of thing, like you talk about – Kate having to come out to Ken Mesner, she doesn't have to. And mm-hmm. and and what I mean by that, I imagine that if it does come down to it, you already know she's going through something. Yeah. You're not a blind parent. You know what's going on. Right. You know whatever change that she's going to go through or whatever she's going to become, you're going to love her. It, it doesn't matter what she is. You're going to love her one way or the other. Yeah. And and that's that's one thing I want to see happen in a season two, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think for Ken, it would be, um, it, it would, it would put a lot of pieces of the puzzle together for him. Absolutely. As any uh, parent, particularly in that time, right. would probably have concerns about not wanting her to have to struggle or have any more hardship than she's already gone through. Right. Uh, so I think that there might be some, a process there. Um, but I also know that, gosh, um, the guys had, had really mapped out a beautiful second season and, and uh, you know, they kind of said, well, do you want to hear? Is it going to be terrible and torture you to hear it? And I said, just tell me. And it was, you know, they've, they've got a, some amazing tricks up their sleeve. So shoot. Yeah. It would be really spectacular to get to uh, share that with the world and, uh, and to give, you know, to give those characters the, um, you know, the, the, at least those storylines, the conclusion that they, that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Well, coming from my experience, uh, there's representation for everybody in this show. Yeah. Whether you're a geek or a drama kid, whatever. But if you're if you're a teenager or if you're an adult, this is the one thing that I love about this show is that I could sit and watch it with my 16 year old stepson, and there's lessons to be learned for everybody, right? 
That's right. Yeah, and that it, uh, I, I like what you said about there's a sort of um, veneer of silliness that, that you experience in the beginning, but as the layers peel away throughout the first season, you see that it's not, as so many of those teen shows can mm-hmm. be, it's like, well, this is the nerd and this is the jock. And it's, uh, you see that in the relationship, you know, those, those complexities that are unique to this show in a relationship like Oliver and Tyler, you know, like mm-hmm. guys who somehow end up being friends and, and he leaves him his, his jacket, you know, it's like those things that mean so much in high school, like 20 years from now, Tyler still has that jacket for sure. You know, mm-hmm. find each other on Facebook or something. He's you still know? part of Oliver's army, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's something that I, maybe didn't see right away um, on the page, but when, when I watched it, uh, I was like, oh, right, this is about the the gray areas where, you know, sometimes in high school or people end up being friends for like a month and have a really big impact on each other's lives and then kind of get into other groups or other clubs, other interests. Um, it's a it, to me that's much more real than the standard football player and the nerd. You know, it's like uh-huh. yeah, that's not really how it is. Uh, that's not how it was for me. You know, there was um, just a lot more nuance. Okay, the other song that I love. Go with me on this trip for a second. I'm in middle school in Michigan, and like my first girlfriend, her older sister is dating a guy in a band, and she makes me a mixtape. She says. Oh, you got to listen to this song. There's this song on there called The Freshman that mm. my sister's boyfriend is in this band, and that's their band, The Verve Pipe. So I heard that song like 10 years before it was out on the radio. I remember going back for after my first year of drama school, and it was playing all the time, especially in Michigan on the radio because they were a Michigan band. And they had that other song, Photograph, that was really popular. When I read that and I turned to the, you know, I'm going through reading the whole season. I turned to the final episode, the title of the episode, We Were Merely Freshmen. I mean, I just was a puddle. I was like, this this is really meant to be. So that's that song right there. I mean, when I hear that, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, one of those moments in life where you're like, I, everything, every step has led me to be right here. Well, let's let's play the verb pipe with freshmen. Thing that we were wise and we never 
mentioned that there were things that you saw on the page and then you saw the the full visualization once you got to watch it that, that you know that's that's the process right yeah what other elements jumped out at you once you saw the completed work that really kind of surprised you well i i think it's a lot of of what you were talking about this uh, kind of something for everyone that that underneath underneath all of the stories is a sense of the, a real community, mm-hmm. you know, that this, that boring hive really emerged as a real place, a real time. So it's kind of just the tapestry of the whole thing, because it's actually quite a large for 22 minute episodes. 
there's there's a, a it covers a lot of different people's perceptions of that mm-hmm. experience. So that was something that really just sort of the overall impact of it that hit me. And Ben said Ben York Jones, our our co creator, who plays Mr. Stargrove, plays Mr. Stargrove. That's right. He said something uh, about there's something about the way that they approached it and the way that they made it where it wasn't exactly like real life. It was a little bit more like nostalgia of how we remember things or how we wanted them to be. Yes. And I thought, my God, that never occurred to me while we were making it because we were just in it. But watching it and going – Right. There might have been things that were didn't quite go that way, but in the memory of childhood and going back to high school, that those that's how you remember them. They're, they're bigger, they're maybe more beautiful or more devastating um, than yeah. And I, I feel like they they somehow captured that that lens of nostalgia for for that period of of growing up. To my to my eye, I thought that was that was getting kind of into the you know what makes a truly great piece of art. It's like, well, it's replication of real life, but it has a slight lift into something more profound. And I I really you know obviously I love the show, and I can maybe be a little bit biased, but but I really do think that's true. Well, you know, I've I've interviewed a lot of people over the time of doing over this 11 year period that I've been doing the podcast. And mm-hmm. there's a sincerity that you cannot fake that you have. I can see it in your eyes. You love this role. You want this show to go on. Yeah. What does it mean to you to have all the people out there rallying around? I mean, somebody sent uh, a thousand blow pop rings to Netflix. I know. And not only that, I saw on your Twitter page where like people like Josh Radner, from uh, How I Met Your Mother and the new show Rise, telling Netflix, "Come on, don't freaks and geeks this. We got to keep this going, right?" Yeah, I mean, Josh is an old pal of mine. He got out of NYU around the time I got out of Juilliard, and um, we've stayed in touch over the years. In fact, I went to the first screening of Rise uh, maybe a month ago, right before it came out. They did a thing at the the YMCA here in town, and, and he did a, an interview with one of the producers who's the uh, director of the musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Fabulous night. Anyway, it means it means a lot to me, man. I, I When that happened, when the show was canceled, we all were pretty shocked and, and upset about it. Shortly after the phone call with Mike and Ben, they called back and uh, said, you know, well, we're talking with our producers at Midnight Radio, and we just know that we're, we're not going to go down without a fight and we're going to try to see if, if there's anything we can do to make a movie or to get the rights to season one and take it to another network or, you know, it's the wild west in television right now. Right. So the rules are, have changed. And so we thought, is there a way we can keep this alive? But when it was officially announced, we all felt that, that, the pushback couldn't come from us, that we couldn't be the ones leading the charge or saying, you know, come on or, or you know, going against our, our employers at Netflix. Because, you know, this is a I know I'm not part of those conversations, but I know that it was a, not an easy decision for them. Right. They're making these tough calls all the time. 
and they've got a huge slate of projects to to manage and we're just one of them and i know that it was you know they fought hard for the show and they they believed in it and they gave us uh, an incredible amount of freedom in season 1 so the point being, we felt what well, there is some groundswell of reaction. It has to come from the fans. And my God, did it ever. It was just, it really, um, the word unprecedented was was what came back from, from the response from Netflix because it's just, you know, and in this day and age where people do have a voice online on social media, it's really amazing. Beyond just the, the, the force of it and the numbers of it, the personal uh, impact that it's clearly had on a lot of people, particularly young people, particularly LGBTQ. Oh my God. I mean, the hashtag I am Kate Mester and you see these kids telling their stories and I've had kids reach out to me and say, you know, I'm not out to my dad and I wish my dad was more like Ken. And, you know, it's really powerful stuff. And, and that's something you know, I, I, I like being an actor. I wanted to play this part. That's all, you know, the fun of it and, and the joy of moving forward in, in a career that you've, you know, been striving for for your whole life. But, you know, I hadn't really, um, hadn't really sunk in. Uh, wow, this is really going to mean something to a lot of people, um, especially people who relate to to Kate. And so it's all the more um, sad to see that, you know, that some of these people feel that they were represented and then they were cut off and they're not getting to finish the story or have the, the dignity of her coming out to her dad, those kinds of things. But I do know that that's, you know, the, the people who are making those tough calls, they're, they're aware of that. And I think that they, it's not, it's not been easy for them. I certainly, there's no, uh, there's no one twisting their mustache over this. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm very proud of though, in this movement that we're seeing among people to get the show back on the air is there's not a vitriol or an, a, a tremendous anger. As a matter of fact, it's done tongue in cheek and with tremendous amounts of love and yeah. peace and joy. We yeah. want this show to come back, and we want it to be a good thing. You know, we we all have Netflix. We all love Netflix, right? Yeah. You know, like I yeah. tweeted to Reed Hastings. I said, "Mr. Hastings, I love your your product. I you are in my home. You're on my devices, and I pay for you. Please give me back this show, right?" Yeah. So it's we want to encourage people to keep on the positive tip because negativity will always lead to trouble. So we got to keep that positive thing going among all the banana slugs and the fans and friends. So keep that going. Now, the, the next thing, I want to talk to you about working with Luke O'Neill, uh, yeah. Jahi. Jahi. But it, let's, let's, let's go back to this one particular scene, which was the, the most frightening aspect of the entire show. I think people are going to be in therapy uh, <laughs> well, you with your shirt off and your underwear dancing. <laughs> Why uh, was there no warning on that episode? <laughs> Pasty white guy alert. <laughs> Name Ken. Well, you know, anytime you have to do that as an actor, the first thing you think is, I, I gotta, I gotta start working out. And I gotta lose some weight. <laughs> My girlfriend, um, bless her. She said, don't you dare. She said, you know, Ken Messner eats Wendy's every day. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And I said, you're right. So, so yes, it is probably, you know, uh, gosh, I know poor Luke had to walk in on that and see. Like I said, I, I, I totally identify with you as a parental figure yeah. named Ken. I'm a pasty fat white guy. So anyway, <laughs> but the the thing that I really want to, you know, just putting all the silliness aside, yeah. there's the fact that you had this intense scene with Luke and yeah. you made the mistake of trying to say, hey, young man. Yeah. And you could see Ken realizing, oh, oh, I shouldn't have said that. There's that yeah. thing. Yeah. And you're you're trying to control and, and contain the, the entire thing and fix everything at the same time, which yeah. is one of Ken Messner's problems. He wants to fix everything. Well, you know, I mean, he's as the principal of the school. And, mm. and let me just add this to the mix. You know, Boring is a real town. Mm-hmm. That house that we shot that scene in was in Boring, Oregon. And when I would drive there from Portland, you really got the sense of there's there's not a lot of options here. Okay, so like Ken Ken doesn't imagine you know meeting someone else. I mean, you're gonna maybe date another teacher you mm -hmm. would meet, but there's no like Facebook, there's no dating apps, and it's in the small town. So. I guess what I'm trying to say there is that Ken's role as the principal of Boring High extends into the community in a larger way. So, so there is a parental quality. You know, I say it to Sherry, you know, I meet a lot of parents and you, you get a sixth sense about these things, about, you know, knowing how to deal with parents, what the parents are like. So I guess I can understand where Ken would feel the, it was not just his, um, not, not just appropriate, but his obligation to try to explain to Luke, uh, you know, uh, what's happening. And also, you know, at that moment, you know, in me and Sherry's trajectory, we've really just sealed the deal. And now it's mm -hmm. like, well, the next step is we're going to tell our kids maybe tonight, maybe this weekend. We'll tell we'll get the four of us together and we'll tell them what's happening. And it's just ripped away so suddenly. And for someone like Ken, who whose heart has been protected and slowly been pulled open again for the first time in ten years, it's a it's a pretty scary uh, thought to feel like. And now you're going to lose it all again. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's one of those great moments of drama where everyone's doing their best to. Uh, to navigate a, a tough situation. And if anyone said, hang on, let's just, let's just leave this be for a second. Um, which I guess is what Sherry tries to do. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of too late at that point. And, and, you know, he's not used to having another man in the house. He's the man of the house. I mean, quite literally, she's gone all the time. Um, you know, there's some, there's some basic, uh, on a, on a just animal instinct level of protection and, territory it is like more a moment between two men yes at that point and ken's trying to, to you know treat him like a, like he's a student but he, he quickly realizes that's not the thing to do right i yeah for sure as soon as sherry is when he really gets sherry's eyes and sees how she's looking at him and and how that i think what he realizes quite quite quickly in that moment is that the allegiance will always be mother and son. 
and just as my allegiance will always be with Kate. Yes, yes. There, you know, you might invite someone else into that dynamic, especially as they go off to college. Those dynamics will shift, but never truly. Right. Always going be, back to that one conversation. Yeah. That your conversation will go on with Kate throughout the rest of her life. Uh, right. You, you have been more than generous with your time today. And, and, so. I, and I could I could go on and talk about other moments of the shows that that really wowed me. Like I'm going to mention real quick, I have to. Sure. The scene where Kate is playing Rocket Man. Oh yeah. And we don't yet know as a viewer the story. Right. We don't know about the bridge. We don't know what Rocket Man means. And right. you do this quiet internal acting where you're reacting to the song and trying not to lose it mm -hmm. as it's being played because that was the song that her mother would sing and play. Yeah. Kudos, sir. Thanks, Ken. I'm telling you, as somebody who's been uh, the young geeky teen to someone like Mr. Stargrove to someone like Ken Messner, yeah. you have represented all of us very well. Oh, thank and you. And special thanks to the cast of Everything sucks and the makers seriously it's an important show i feel for what on the surface looks like a geeky teenage comedy yeah. i feel that we are at a point where this is losing this would be like when we lost freaks and geeks yeah and i'd like to see it continue thank you for being on the show today Thanks hashtag renew everything sucks right that's right and uh hopefully uh you know if, if we are somehow able to turn this ship around, um, I'll come back on and we can chat about season two. All right, excellent. We'll, uh, we'll go out to an Italian restaurant and uh, <laughs> throw toilet paper around. It'll yeah, be fantastic. Yeah, you the crew sound factory. Yeah, like <laughs> the crew. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You've Thanks, been man. an excellent year. Just seriously, thank you for being on the show today. Appreciate you. All right, talk to you later. See ya. So there was the interview with Patch Dara. We hope that you will join us again on the next unofficial Everything Sucks podcast. Anything you want to say to our listeners and friends out there? Keep pushing to renew the show, Banana Sluggers. Netflix is hearing us. Use the hashtag Renew Everything Sucks. Tag Netflix. Tag Reed Hastings. And don't forget to catch us on the next episode of the podcast. Very good. We will be back very soon. With the first episode, a look at Plutonium. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So, so we will see you on the next episode of Everything Sucks, the podcast. Yes. And that's our show. Our podcast is an online, nonprofit audio fanzine made for fans of the Netflix original series Everything Sucks by fans of the Netflix original series Everything Sucks. Any samples of music or TV heard here remain the property of their owners. Our show is not affiliated with Netflix or Everything Sucks, and opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of our staff. If you like something you heard, buy it or subscribe to it today. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook or Twitter and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening. 
And until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying, remember, hashtag renew everything sucks. Hashtag save banana slug. Um, keep pushing to renew the show because Netflix is hold on, hearing us. Hold on, hold on a second. Back up the mic just a little bit. You're right into it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. It was kind of like this. Okay. Again. Yep. Go for it. Just as the dog starts barking. <laughs> Why do Chihuahuas think they run the world? Good question. <laughs>